as people have the unique ability to compartmentalize our emotions and our thoughts. If you are a highly structured person, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And others, you may say, what is compartmentalization, right? Uh, it is an area of your life that you take in, in the context of uh, the church life. An area of your life that you take and you kind of wall it off from the rest of your life, right? You, 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 you separate it, thereby preventing it from uh, intruding into the areas of your emotions or other things that uh, you just don't want to be touched. And I think in some sense this is, uh, it, it can be very healthy, right? Because uh, if you had uh, a very intense uh, discussion with your spouse before you get to work, you don't want that intense conversation to enter into your job, especially if you are a fireman or a firewoman. Uh, because you want to make sure that you concentrate. So it's important that you wall off that thing so uh, when the bell rings, you can go and save lives. But why do we compartmentalize our lives against God? Right? It makes sense to do that uh, when there's things going on at home and you want to get to work and you need to focus on your job. That makes sense. But why do we do it with God? With people, it makes sense, right? Sometimes because we're trying to prevent ourselves from getting hurt. We're trying to uh, not become damaged goods. What you see is not always what you get. But yet we still compartmentalize. We keep God away from the apartment building of our souls sometimes. We sometimes keep God at an arm's distance or we keep him locked away until we need him desperately. Right? There's nothing like a prayer of desperation. You ever notice how different your prayer life is when you have major problems going on versus when everything is going great? You know, when everything is going great, it's like somehow our prayer life is, what, five minutes, ten minutes long? But man, when the stuff hits the fan, you know what I mean? When it hits the fan, all of a sudden we become uh, the most dedicated prayer warriors there is. In fact, you know how it is, man. You could, you could almost pray night and day. And we can pray night and day because we've reached this place of desperation and we've reached this place of desperation knowing that only God can make a change. Because we know Look, if God doesn't make that change, then we are in deep trouble. But as we live our day-to-day -day lives, we uh, keep certain aspects of our lives walled away from God. 
when we learn about the necessity of God's kingdom, we say that that's all good work. Right? When we hear about the authority, uh, we, we say all these things, this is good. Uh, the, the church should be about authority concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are with it 100%. We learn about rooting out rebellion in our life or someone else's life within the body of Christ. We cheer because we say that there is no place for rebellion amongst God's children. Why? Because it is detrimental to the forward momentum of the ministry and God's kingdom expansion. However, when we arrive at a subject like today's, there's blowback. There is this now-wait-a-minute mentality that resists God's kingdom push for meddling into our business. This means that God's kingdom work is not only in what some have understood it to be, the, the spiritual, which is, again, always this otherworldly type of thing. Right? In terms of the official church business and in terms of uh, it being for uh, uh, those who are not yet believers. But when it moves inward and more deeper into our lives, we say, well, hold up. You're talking about things that I ain't even trying to hear. Why? Because the kingdom is trying to lay claim uh, to your entire soul. God wants to pry today, I tell you. God wants to pry into our personal affairs of how we deal with everyday things like work, our marriage, in fact, even in our singleness. The kingdom of God is extensive as Jesus is concerned with how we present him in our relationships with our parents, in our singleness, with our children, and in our marriage. Please turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. God has his eye on your family. God has his eye on your family. And here it is. The first one. The kingdom of God requires marriages that are aligned. And this alignment begins with authority and submission. Kingdom of God requires marriages that are aligned, and that authority and that alignment begins with authority and submission. First Peter, chapter three, verse one. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, 
verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external. Now, uh, before uh, we go on with that, uh, I don't think Peter is saying that you can just get out to bed and look any way that you want to, ladies. Peter is not implying that, right? Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, right? I remember so, you know, sometimes the, uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, older uh, preachers, they would say, uh, therefore the scripture tells us that you should not be wearing any lipstick, you shouldn't braid your hair, uh, you don't have any business wearing earrings, necklaces, bracelets, watches, or anything else in church, ladies. That's not what Peter means. Verse 4. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Yeah, I hear you, ladies, so just hold, hold on. I hear you. Verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. How? By submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Man, I wonder if my wife would ever call me Lord. And you are her children, ladies, right? You're married. You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Well, let's unpack a little bit of this anyway. Uh, authority and submission in Scripture never loses its tension because of uh, cultural conditioning. Authority and submission in Scripture never loses its tension because of cultural conditioning. It's like... Uh, uh, as an example, how we think of alcohol in this country. I was uh, watching a program, uh, it was a Japanese station, uh, probably about two weeks ago, I think it was, uh, maybe even three weeks, uh, and uh, they had a panel of individuals, maybe about a panel of 12 to 14 people, and they were talking about how each country view drinking alcohol during lunch, right? And, you know, obviously they go to work, so... How do you, how does your nation view drinking alcohol on lunch if you are in France or in, in Italy or the United States or in China or Brazil and I forget the other countries, Russia, uh, the other countries that were there. Uh, but anyway, uh, almost each of them had a different answer. Uh, of course, some of the United States said, well, no, uh, you, you, you look kind of negatively if you drink alcohol on your lunch break here in the United States. Those people think that, you know, maybe you have to have it so bad that you just got to drink at lunchtime as well. And surprisingly, though, uh, there, there was a woman from China, and she says that if you do not drink during your lunchtime, especially during business meetings, they say that uh, they look at you funny. Isn't that interesting? That they look at you funny uh, if you don't drink alcohol during your lunchtime. You know, so for us, uh, this seems like a very foreign concept. Why? 
Because we have been conditioned uh, to think uh, this way by our environment and anything else, it just feels wrong. I mean, how would you feel if your coworker wouldn't have had put down a couple of pints during lunch? Right? And then came back. In this case, we are uh, considering uh, cultural preferences and not theological facts. You realize that, right? That uh, that's simply something that is a norm within our culture, and within their culture, that is a norm. Now, I don't know about police officers or uh, or, 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 or physicians and so on. if they drink on their lunchtime. I hope they don't. A person I know uh, is very interesting. This past week said that they never ever drank a drop of coffee, right? Uh, but they married someone. I, I forget which uh, country. The person that they married into where they came from, I think it was maybe from one of the South American countries, and uh, he told me, they always drink coffee. They always drink, and I wouldn't drink anything, but there's always this distance between me and them. And then finally, I just started just to sip just a little bit, just a little bit, and all of a sudden, they became more embracing and welcoming me into the family, just because he was drinking coffee. But initially, he was saying that he didn't think that it really mattered much at all. So, uh, what am I saying, right? Here we go. So when we consider this idea of authority and submission within marriage, some reject uh, these ideas uh, even if they don't say them out loud. Why? Why do they reject this idea of authority and submission within the body of Christ? Because it seems so foreign. No one wants to hear this, right? Because authority and submission means that there is a clear leader. Specifically, we're talking here with Peter within the marriage. And this is the thing that causes so much uneasiness. Admittedly, uh, when I talk about uh, authority and submission within marriage, uh, oftentimes within our church, I don't get much uh, uh, blowback from it. Uh, but uh, when I go outside of our church and I talk to people who I do not pastor, oftentimes I get a very intense, I have a very intense conversation with them. Most men, they are generally pretty happy to hear what I have to say, but it is, it is with the women who don't like what I have to say. I uh, uh, recently changed barbers and... Um, and I noticed that, uh, yeah, you know how it is, in, in, the, uh, in a barber shop, men talk, in a, uh, uh, what is it called, a, a beauty shop, ladies talk, right? So this barber that I have, he's the only barber in a beauty shop, right? And I'm like, man, I just, you know, my wife let me there if you're wondering how I got there in the first place, right? Because uh, something happened with my barber. But in any case, uh, it, it's a good thing. Uh, but anyway, the first time I went in there, I'm like, I told my wife, I really, I don't want to hear all that. Sometimes I don't even want to hear all that when I'm getting my hair cut with men. But I said, I know I don't want to hear all that. So I would go at times, you know, when, when, when all the ladies were gone. That's when I would get my hair cut. When I would walk in there, I don't want, didn't want any ladies there. And it, it worked for a while until I forgot about what the schedule was, right? And then I, I went one time. And uh, I went there, and it was full of women and me and the barber, right? I'm like, well, I'm getting my hair cut, and I'm just going to get out of here, right? 
but he knows how I am, so he happened to ask me a question about marriage. So I walk in there, and they just, yep, 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 I mean, it's, you know, let me put it this way. They were just talking, right? They were talking a lot. You know how it is. Uh, it's nothing new. And uh, so they're going back and forth and back. So he asked, my barber asked me a question about marriage. All of a sudden, the entire, bar, the, the entire beauty shop gets quiet. I mean, you could almost hear a pin drop. And I'm like, hey, I, I don't care. I, don't, I, have nothing, I have nothing to apologize. But I knew that they were listening into the conversation because no one else was talking. I mean, come on. You're going to a beauty shop and ladies are not talking? I mean, come on. So I, I was just explaining this idea. He had asked me something about marriage, and I began to... You know, talk to him about authority and submission within marriage. And I begin to explain it and, and explain how I believe God wants this to happen. So when you hear about this idea of authority and submission, yes, get quiet and listen, but don't be uneasy about it. Why? Because it is a God sin. See, our cultural norms dictate what we think, but we don't realize it. Because everything else around us seems so normal. So in a, a kingdom marriage, there is authority and submission. Now, again, before you go running, hear me out. Better yet, hear what the word of the Lord says. Again, 1 Peter 3, verse 1 and 2. Uh, he says, likewise, uh, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Uh, this is what Peter says. Uh, some of you already know uh, and clearly understand the importance of submission within a Christian or a kingdom family. You need to have submission. You have submission on your job. You have submission at school, everywhere you go. In fact, you go to the grocery store, you have submission, right? When you make it to the cashier, the cashier says your total will be $42.13. You say, okay, here's my money. You may look at the receipt, but you will say, Here, my, here is my money. You submit to that, and then you walk out. You may complain about how high the prices are, but yet you submit. Somehow, when we begin to talk about uh, the marriage, all of a sudden, you know, ladies got two. But I understand it, too. I, I want you to know, I've, you know, been around a little, a little while now. You know, I know that, you know, I, I was talking to someone just this, again, just this past week, uh, and they asked me, where do I fall in the family? I said, I'm, I'm number six of six, right? That's my dignified way of saying I'm the baby of the family. But instantly, they said, you're the baby. So they said, you are the baby. So for a long time, uh, you know, I had to live down this baby mentality. You're the baby. You don't know nothing, right? Simply not the case. So I've been around for a while. This baby has been around for a while now. So I've had uh, these discussions about uh, what it means, what does it mean for a wife to submit to her husband. And see, again, the problem is that in times past, and maybe in, in some places today, that when you think of submission, it's always talking about the man being the boss of everything. It's about the man uh, telling the woman, you have to stay behind me two, uh, ten feet. It could be two feet two, I guess. Right? It's about that man who tells that wife that if you don't straighten up, that I'm going to beat your head in. 
We've heard all the horror stories. So therefore, when we fast forward, when we really look into the word of God, when we hear uh, this word submission, it's almost like a four-letter word. In other words, uh, we are really not trying to hear it. But understand this, that that is not what kingdom marital submission is. A kingdom marriage means that first, the husband submits to the Lord in all things. Amen? So we need to have a man who submits to the Lord in all things. See, if a man insists on submission, he must first be in submission himself. And believe me, I'm not done yet. Ephesians 5, 25, right? Husbands, Paul says, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, so, so Paul says that, husbands, you need to love your wife just like Jesus loved the church. And again, we know the answer to this, but I will ask again, how much did Jesus love the church? He loves the church so much that he did what for her? He died. So husbands, if you want to even start even having an inkling sense of your wives submitting to you, you must first be able to put your life on the line for that honey. You hear what I'm saying, right? You must be able to die for her. Can you die for your wife? But in 1 Peter... Chapter 3, verse 7, we're about to go there. The husband is supposed to live with their wives in an understanding way. Now, uh, one thing before I, again, I, I leave this idea of submission, right? Uh, let me explain submission one, one more time, or I, I forgot to explain it earlier. The idea of submission has to do with, there's, there's this main document, right, in the, Greek, uh, uh, in the Greek language, if you can imagine, legal documents, right? And typically, uh, when it's getting ready to submit, if something else was left off or they decided to add something else later to it, what is that called? It's called an addendum, right? It is not that uh, that addendum takes the place of, I don't know what the main document or contract is called, uh, but uh, when you add the, uh, the addendum, it either clarifies or adds strength to the original document. Would you not agree generally, right? I'm not a lawyer, but I can just tell you what I surmise by living this life, right? So this idea of submission, this is what submissions mean. So when the wife comes along, uh, she strengthens the bond. She makes the thing, you know, better. Uh, so, uh, so guys, if you think that you were all that, you are not all that until you met your wife. That's when you became better, amen? We me included, have become better because our wives, God has addended us with a help meet. Amen? Now, come on. Uh, sometimes we don't appreciate it the way that we should. Uh, sometimes, and it, and it also goes both ways, by the way, but I'm talking about men. Uh, sometimes men don't appreciate their wives the way that they should. And if you don't appreciate your wife, you better thank God for that woman today. Amen? You better look at her. I don't care how you're feeling. Or you, just, you better go with what Scripture says and say, woman, I appreciate you. And hopefully it will be woman with endearment. 
So, uh, Peter says that uh, the husband here in 1 Peter 3, 7 is supposed to live with their wives with an, uh, 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 in an understanding way. Peter says that uh, women are weaker. Oh, here you go again. Wait a minute. First you're saying that the women have to submit to the men. Now you're saying that a woman is weaker? Yes, I am saying that. Okay, well, let's just start here. This, this, this is the easy weak part. I know I, I, don't get any trouble with, I don't get any trouble with this one. You let me and my wife look at a 150-pound barbell, and let's see which one can lift that up over their head. Probably neither one of us now, but <laughs> there is a high likelihood, right? I can lift 100. Come on, come on, Keelan. Keelan's talking about me. I, there, is, there is a high likelihood that I can do 150. I can do more than 150, in fact. But my wife, by the nature of how God has made her, he made her how? He made her weaker physically. It's just a fact. You know, some, anyway, I'm not getting into that. I'm not going to even go down that particular line that my mind was ready to take me. But what was Peter talking about? Was he talking about who can lift a 150-pound barbell? No, he wasn't necessarily talking about that. But even within the social constraint of, 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 of that ancient time, uh, that oftentimes uh, the woman did not have uh, a, a standing politically. A woman did not have uh, a standing uh, even in most things, even within the general family. So the view in those ancient times was that a woman was weaker. Bottom line is, is that as men, that we must understand wherever our wives are area that they have weaknesses in, that it says that we should live with them in an understanding way. We need to understand. And man, uh, you know how it's hard sometimes, guys, right? When you're really trying to understand your wife, you want to go right, you want to go left. Well, I want to go both ways. Well, it's driving me crazy, right? Uh, do you want to do this? You want, I don't know. We can go here, then we can go there. I don't want to do all that, honey. But then, you know, you try to understand, but sometimes it drives you crazy. You try to live uh, in an understanding way. But understand this, even if you don't try to understand your wife, guys. <laughs> Listen to this. This is crazy, right? A husband who does not live with his wife in an understanding way, do you realize that your prayers drop to the ground when you pray? You realize that, guys? You've been praying, 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 ignoring your wife, and every time, every word, every syllable, every letter that comes out of your mouth, it falls straight to the ground and does not go to heaven. Why? Well, you're saying, what are you talking about? Come on. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. So we're supposed to honor her in all things since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so what? So that your what? Prayers may not be hindered. So if you're wondering, why is it my prayers are not being answered? Maybe because you're not living with your wife in an understanding fashion, guys. Maybe that's why you can't get a breakthrough. 
Because you're not trying to understand that woman whom God has brought to you. Live with your wife knowing that she also has experienced, if she knows Christ, the life-saving grace and blood of Jesus. So if you're going to be a kingdom husband, act like a kingdom husband and not some oppositional force. Man of God, listen here. Your prayers are too important to have them stall because you don't know how to live with your wife. We need your prayers. Look, when we come to church, we need pure prayers before God. We need prayers that is not an abomination before the Lord. So guys, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now back to 1 Peter, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Your own husbands, your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So understand this, women, that, uh, yeah, we like to think that uh, it is a good thing for you to submit to your man, especially when he submits to Jesus Christ, Correct? Who, who, again, I, I've always asked the question, uh, which of you would not want to submit uh, to your man if he loves Jesus Christ? If he's willing to die for you, to do anything, and to live with you in an understanding fashion, who wouldn't want us to submit to, with, uh, to a person like that? But you see, the Scripture says that even if some do not, what? Obey the word. Ah! Ah! So that means that they could be a believer to act like the devil or they can just act like the devil and act like the devil. Scripture says that either way it goes that the responsibility of submission is not upon that husband but the responsibility of submission belongs solely to you O oh woman. This is not your husband's job. So, the implication is this, man. You can't make your wife submit. She submits to you because she submits to God's word. Amen? So, so guys, don't run around here telling your wife, you better submit. You better watch out. You better submit. No, uh, the, the, the reason that she submits is because she understands and has, uh, has full knowledge of God's word. So this is the way that a kingdom marriage should work. This is the way that the marriage get aligned. And you already know within the kingdom marriage that first it is the individual and your relationship with God. That is number one. Amen. And then number two, it is your relationship with your spouse. Amen. And then number three, it is your relationship with your kids. Right? Amen. And then number four, number four, is your relationship with your job or your extended family, however you want to do it, however you want to put that. But number one is God, your spouse, and your children. You get any of those turned around at any time, and I, you better believe you got a jacked up family. Your family is jacked up. If you get any of those things out of order, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, well, I know some may have uh, uh, some contradictory statements to say about that. 
But even though, even though your family may end up okay, you still don't have a kingdom family, but God is calling you to have a kingdom family. Number two. Uh, so not only does the kingdom of God require that your marriage be aligned, number two, the kingdom of God requires that children who are aligned as well. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. Proverbs 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. So scripture tells all children to listen to their parents. Again, this also deals with authority and submission. Uh, so whether you are in a blended family or an unblended family, whatever it is, uh, that as a child that you're supposed to submit to the authority of your parents, you are not to tell one parent one thing and then uh, the other parent the other thing trying to get your way. And parents, remember that. Watch out for your kids who try to uh, divide and destroy, conquer and divide. That sometimes they will come to one of you and say this one thing and then come to the other one and say the other thing, right? When your kid wants something, you decide to do it, make sure husband and wife, you come together. Scripture tells you children to listen to your parents. By the way, you have a kingdom family when you operate by kingdom principles. You want to know whether or not you have a kingdom family? If you operate according to kingdom principles. So parents, you are the authority, and children, you are in submission. Okay, I, I needed to say that, right? Uh, because boy, times have changed. I've seen some places where some kids, look, some kids telling their parents what to do. Now, I have to tell you that sometimes when I hear it, I just want to, you, you, know, you, know, you know how it is, right? You, know, you, you come from that old school, right? And you see somebody else's kid talking to their parent. And I have to admit, sometimes I have said something. I butted right in. You know, sometimes they, parents still scream at me. I'm like, wow, you're screaming at me, and you need to be dealing with your own kid, right? And I know, but uh, just sometimes it just really, certain things that just really irk you. And it's, it's very unnatural. But, but, but kids, you're saying, why should I submit? Why should I do what my parents tell me to do? They tell me to clean my room. They tell me to do my homework. They tell me to go to bed. They tell me when to wake up. They tell me when to eat breakfast. They tell me what I can eat for breakfast. They tell me all these things. Why should I even look? Why should I listen to them? Because Scripture says if you don't listen to them, that you may end up with a short life. Yeah? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. But I'm going to do something a little different. I normally don't do I'm going to read uh, this uh, virgin, uh, version out of the message. Ephesians 6, verses 2 and 3. But you have the ESV or some other right before you. It says here in the message, Children, do what your parents tell you. This is only right. Honor your father and mother is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. Namely, so you will live well and have a long life. Right? 
So if you want to have a long life, you better listen to what mommy and daddy tells you to do. Know that every single time that you tell a mom and daddy you're not going to do something, even if you say it in your mind, knowing that you are living a rebellious life. And God may be taking uh, one minute off your life. Every time you tell your parent no, it could be that God is taking one minute off your life. That you may live to be uh, 80 years old. And then God said, no, they're going to live to 79 because they're not obeying their parents this week. Or maybe they're going to live to 78 and God continues to back that number up and he backs it up and he backs it up. Why? Because you're not in submission to your parents. Children, if you want to live long and have a good quality of life, obey your parents. Now, okay. You're saying, I hear you, I already hear you. You're saying, so are you telling me that if I obey my parents, I'm going to live to 200 years old? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when you live the right type of life, that you will live a life with the confidence and assurance that knowing that God is always on your side. No, you're still going to have trouble like everybody else, right? A man is of a few days, who's born a woman is of a few days and have many troubles, Scripture says. Uh, you're going to have trouble in life. It happens. You need to know this. I don't care how many words of affirmation or positive talk comes out of your mouth. You keep on living and stuff is going to happen. But if you want to have a good quality life, if you want to live long, obey your parents. Can I get an amen? amen? So know that you're still going to be disciplined when it's time. Fathers and mothers. And still treat your, 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 your children with a level of respect at the same time. And I know sometimes it's hard because they just drive you crazy. But I understand that too. But understand this, children, that your parents love you. Your parents absolutely love you so much. They love you. And if, if, if they could, they would probably even give their life for you. So if they're willing to do that for you, you need to honor them. Right? You need to honor them, number one, because this is what God tells you, and number two, because it is right. Moving on. Well, I've talked about uh, the marriages, and I've talked about children. There's one category that I, I want you to know I did not forget, and here it is. God's kingdom requires single folks who are devoted to him. God's kingdom requires single people, men and women, who are devoted to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. Forgive me for just dropping right into the context of these passages, but I believe they will be true to form. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32. Because you're saying, I'm not married, or you may say, I don't have any kids, but you are single. As a matter of fact, uh, if you're most of the children, hopefully all the children in here, you're also single as well. Amen? Paul says this, verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. Huh. The unmarried man or woman is anxious about the things of the Lord how to please the Lord. 
But the married man, the married man now, is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Are you saying that a worldly thing is trying to figure out how to please your wife? Some other time. Verse 34. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. You know, if you are single, if you are not married, you are in better position at pleasing the Lord than married people. Did you know that? If you don't have a husband, if you don't have a wife, you are in a better position at pleasing the Lord than married folks. And I know that, you know, sometimes it's, it's almost like uh, uh, single folks are, are treated like second-class citizens. But I want you to know, in the eyes of God, you are not a second-class citizen. In the eyes of God, uh, he's calling you to himself to be more devoted to him than anything else. We have seen in our passage that people who are married, they have divided interests. Right? They're thinking about God, you know, and then they're thinking about uh, this, this man or this woman, and they're thinking about God. Uh, but if you're single, you don't have that, uh, that man or woman to get in the way. It's just you and God. So in other words, if anybody going to be at church all the time, it needs to be you. Uh-oh. If you are single, you need to be at church more than anybody else. But for some reason, single folks are sometimes at church less than anybody else. Think of it this way. As a married person, how much time do you proportion out for your, uh, for, your, for your marriage and how much time do you proportion out for the Lord? And as a single person, how much time do you proportion out for all of your life, for the rest of your life, and how much do you proportion out for God, you see? And God's saying that most of that time that would have been dedicated to that other person, it belongs to him. But yet, as a single person, uh, we want to spend our, all of our time hunting out this other person. Now... I don't think uh, Paul is necessarily saying that you shouldn't, you shouldn't even desire to be married. Paul is not saying that. He's not saying that you shouldn't have a desire uh, to be connected with someone for the rest of your life. As a single, you don't have to concern yourself with the biblical uh, idea, principle of submission. You don't have to worry about that. It's not even on your radar. And if we were really serious about this, we would understand singles who are dedicated to the Lord are people. You are the ones that we should look up to. If you are not married, you are the ones that we should look up to in this place. You realize this. And you realize that it's been pretty much reversed. Because when you're single, oh, I ain't got time to be at church in the middle of the week because I, I got to go and uh, kind of uh, get into my cubby hole and just cry, how come I ain't got nobody? When Jesus says, you do have somebody, you got me. 
As a single, you should be the model of what true spirituality is. <laughs> Again, but, a, uh, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But you may say that, you know what? It's just not fair. I've cleaned up my life. I've gotten my act together. I've been looking for someone, and I still ain't got nobody. I ain't got nothing, what the song says. I ain't got nothing but the blues. So when you focus unhealthily upon this person that you don't have, you are violating a biblical principle, right? And then you wonder, why is it I ain't got nobody, God? Because the God that wants to be your spouse for a period of time, he says that you don't have me, that you're not passionately pursuing me. <laughs> Paul says that, you know what? Paul says his preference is that everybody, he says that he wished everybody was single, just as he is. So if you're married, we want you to know it's too late. Don't go out here and say, you know, uh, find a lawyer and go to a judge. Say, look here. Paul says that his desire is that everybody be single, so I'm obeying God, so can I have a divorce? Right? I don't think they're going to grant you a divorce based on that. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6 and 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6 and 7. Paul says that he wished, if you're single, Paul says he wishes that everybody was just like you. Isn't that something? He doesn't say that he wishes all single people would be like the married folks. He says he wishes everybody was like the single folks. Here it is. Now it's a concession. He said, this is a concession, not a command from God. I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. What is your gift? You say, well, the gift that God gave me, I don't want it. I don't want to be single. And some of you got married may say, I don't want to be married. Well, it's too late, and the other, you can't help yourself. But remember, this is not a command of Scripture, but a preference of Paul. He understands by not being married, uh, there are no deterrents to what we need to do uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, that spouse will not get in the way. So as a kingdom single person, you are your kingdom family, and you should be more successful in the things of the Lord than anyone else who is married. So if you are single, you need to celebrate in your singleness today and thank God that you ain't got nobody. Your identity is not that you are not married. Your identity is that you are holy dedicated to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as a single, you need to celebrate in that. Amen? Bottom line, a kingdom family may defy your own personal reasonings. <laughs> it defies reasoning 
when your common sense contradicts God's sense. This is why when God's words don't make sense to you, it is safe to follow Him until you can begin to understand why. Because God, He knows best. I know that some things take longer, but the Lord will never, ever steer you wrong. So to have a kingdom family, to have a kingdom family, there has to be authority and submission to the Lord, loving one another, husband and wife. There must be authority and submission between parents and their children. Children should obey their parents. And singles, that as a kingdom single person, you need to obey the Lord. Are you a kingdom person today? Do you have a kingdom family? Guess what? The ball is in your court. How will you respond to the Lord? Let's pray.